this morning, I, I want to present to you the problem with us being culture keepers of a culture of prayer is that hurry, hurry, and you're going to hear me today talk about busy hurry and worry. Hurry is the enemy of keeping the culture of God's house of prayer. That sometimes when well-intended, if I said, hey, you know, you come to me, I'm struggling with something, and I say, hey, would, wh why, like, why don't we pray about it? Prayer sometimes actually creates more anxiety in our hearts because when we go to God in prayer with it, we have to face it and we have to name it. So there are times when we're like, I don't want to pray. I don't want to, I don't want to go to God and pray about it because I don't want to have to address, face the fear, and I don't want to have to name what's giving me this anxious heart. Are you with me this morning? Why don't you guys do me a favor? Can you give Robert a huge round of applause? He's going to join us a little bit later. I'm going to give you, the, uh, uh, there's a guy named Tyler Statton. He wrote a book called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. And he presents something very interesting in this. Uh, he, he says that uh, the clock, the light bulb, and the iPhone inadvertently have made stillness, our ability to get out of the, the busy hurry and worry and the anxiousness Here's the three things that he, he talks about and he names. He talks about the, the clock, the light bulb, and the iPhone. See, we like to blame the iPhone. Um, but it, let, let, me, let me give you some, uh, this is some fun nerdy information. Um, the clock in 1370 uh, was the, time, the first public clock was set up in Germany in the year 1370. He, here's why that's important. Because uh, historians conclude that this is when the world shifted from natural time to artificial time. Uh, see, prior to this, you just lived and I lived in the rhythm of natural time. Uh, when you were tired, you went to. When you were done sleeping, you. And isn't it wild that our bodies, God made our bodies, that when the sun goes down, your body will start producing and doing what it needs to do on a chemical level so that you can neurologically shut down and you will go to, we are now living in artificial time. Interesting. And we've lost these natural rhythms. Uh, in, in 1879, Thomas Edison and he invents the first light bulb. Uh, this inadvertently cut back on our sleep time, which at the time the average American slept 10 plus hours a night. Now, now we, have, we have artificial time and we have a light bulb that we're able to, in our artificial time, stay awake when our bodies are needing stillness, rest, and recovery. With all of this increase uh, potential uh, for human, uh, <laughs> this is where it gets wild. All of this came with increased potential for human productivity. We have more time now. We actually don't have more time. It's artificial. But this is when technology took off. Okay? Watch what happens. 
1960, central air inside buildings, heat in a building, in a house, microwaves, dishwashers, and laundry machines. All of them became common in American homes. Okay? Sociologists at this time began to predict an increase for Americans and an increase globally for humans that they began to predict because of this technology, because this invention that we have all these things now, it's going to give us more leisure time and an easier life. Okay? More leisure time and an and ease of life. In 1967, <laughs> follow me, a Senate subcommittee of our great government uh, they, can, they got together and predicted that an average American would work, this is from 1967, because of all of this ease and this leisure because of technology, because of clock, light bulb, and all the modern technologies, this was their prediction, the average American would work t only 22 hours a week and only 27 weeks a year. Because technology would have given us so much free time. <laughs> right? Technology was advancing and saving us time, but we have spent it on everything but rest. The iPhone was released in June 2007. A, a 2016 study said the average user of an iPhone touches it 2,617 times. Um, that's 2.5 hours over an average of 76 sessions. A session is you pick your phone up, you open it. Every time you touch it to scroll, count toward that 2,617. That was in 2016, a study was done. By the way, all of that data you're holding and carrying in your pocket on your phone, every time you touch it, it's, it's got metadata that's being sent to whoever created that phone, whoever created that app. They know how many times you're touching it, how long you're staying on a page. They're tracking all this data, okay? From 2016 to 2019, that figure doubled to five hours a day on a phone. All the technology. But I just want to point out, it's not iPhone's fault, okay? It started in 1370 with artificial time. It started with this idea that as humans, we can create the space in our heart that we need to calm anxiety. Rather than slowing down with all this technology and all the efficiency, we now suffer from what mental health professionals call, check this out, hurry sickness. They've studied it and they've named it. Uh, hurry sickness. Hurry sickness is a behavioral pattern of continual rushing that causes anxiety. Um, we, we live in a complete lack of stillness. We live now in a, in a time and a space of complete lack of stillness. We are always busy, always in a hurry, and we're always suffering from worry. Today, I'm going to I'm going to name this sermon, uh, Why Am I Busy But Bankrupt? 
Why am I busy but bankrupt? Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, God, let us just posture ourselves for a second. Family, let's just posture ourselves for a second. Let's do this. This might be the first time in your, in your week that you do this. I want you just to, to close your eyes. I want you to take a deep breath. God, we posture ourselves before you right now in a posture of stillness. It is completely countercultural, God, to our humanity, to the time and the space we live in. But in this place, in this moment together, today, would you help us understand? what happens when we seek stillness and we surrender to your voice of stillness. In Jesus' powerful name, everyone said, amen and amen. I'm going to read this passage. Uh, th this is Jesus. There was, a, there was a, a series of things that Jesus said, uh, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, in this part of what Jesus was saying in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about some anxiety that people were feeling. Maybe you felt this before. Um, and it, it really was these followers who were busy, hurried, and worried about all of their, uh, their perceived needs being taken care of. And it was creating some anxiety. So this is what Jesus said. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. It says, Therefore I tell you, stop being worried and anxious, perpetually uneasy and distracted about your life. I just want to stop there for one second, and I just want to ask you a question. That when I read that, could this be personal to you today? That in 2024, with all the technology we have, with all of the efficiencies, with all the help, with all the AI, with everything that's happening that's coming on the scene, let me ask you a question. Therefore, I tell you, are you worried, anxious, perpetual, and easy, distracted about your life? This is for you and I then. Okay. There's this distraction about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, as to what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than your clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow seed nor reap the harvest nor gather the crops into the barns, and yet your heavenly Father keeps feeding them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by worrying, can add one hour? Check this out. Who of you, by worrying, can add one hour artificial time? And who of you, by worrying, can add one hour to the length of his life? Why are you worried about clothes? See how the lilies and the wildflowers, Jesus, like, look at creation. See how the lilies and the wildflowers of the field grow? They, they don't labor, nor do they spin wool or make clothes. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory and splendor dressed himself like one of these. Solomon, by the way, was uh, the son of a guy named David. And Solomon, in history, if you, just, from, like, if you just look historically, was a king. And he was known to be one of the wealthiest people to ever live and one of the wisest. What's Jesus saying here? 
He's saying, hey, listen, yet I say to you, not even the Mark Zuckerbergs, the Jeff Bezos, the Bill Gates, and the Warren Buffetts. All of those guys, right? All of the luxury, all of their ability to clothe themselves. And I say to you that not even Solomon and all of them, in all their glory and splendor, dressed themselves like one of these, like the flowers of the field. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive and green today, and tomorrow is cut and is thrown as fuel into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Therefore, do not worry or be anxious, perpetual and easier distracted, saying, what are we going to eat, or what are we going to drink, or what are we going to wear? For the pagan Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. This is, what, this is what Jesus is saying. All the people that don't even believe in me, all of the people that don't follow me, all the people that live outside the world of Christianity that don't subscribe to the creator of creation being their God, Lord, and Savior. Let me, let me paint this. Even they, like, this is what he's saying. They seek all of those things, but they don't worry. For your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Famous scripture. But first and most importantly, seek his kingdom and his righteousness. His way of doing and being right and the attitude of the character of God. And all these things will be given to you. Keeping the culture of God's house of prayer begins with a posture of stillness. It begins with a posture of stillness. So number one, seek the stillness of prayer. We have to seek the stillness of prayer. Um, uh, there's this natural inclination that I think most of us have. I know that I do this, that if I come to God, when if I'm busy, I'm hurried, or I'm worried about something, and I come to God, um, and, and, and I'm feeling maybe a little bit even about anxious about some of these needs, that I, I have this propensity to come to him and just tell him what I need first. And, and, and here, here, here's, a, here's a fascinating fact. Um, when asked, uh, more than 50% of Americans say that they pray. That, that, that's not 50% of followers of Jesus. That's just 50% of Americans. In fact, what I will tell you is far more people are praying than they are following Jesus, showing up to church, or living a life according to what Jesus says. Prayer is almost universal. When we get in a tough spot, what do we do? I mean, I, I, mean, I see it. You see it on social media. People are throwing up the praying emojis and stuff. And I'm just like, I don't think you're a Christian. I don't think you know Jesus. But you'll pray. Man, I've heard crazy stories about people being like in the worst of worst places, not following God, being so far in a hole and mess. And they go, and here's the testimony. I just cried out to God, will you help me? There's something powerful about prayer. What do we posture ourselves in first, though? We have this propensity to go, let me, no, let me tell you what I need. <laughs> let me, I, I got to get to what I need first because I'm so anxious about it. I need you to know what I need. Matthew 6, we just read, though, it says that we need to do what? We need to seek first. The first thing we need to do is seek, not say. We need to seek, not word vomit. Okay, so in verse 32, he says, even pagans seek. 
So he, he get, Jesus gives us this juxtaposed, this really great understanding of what it looks like to seek outside of faith and what it looks like to seek when we say yes to Jesus. So check this out. This word seek in verse 32, even pagan seek, means to desire, wish for, or crave. To desire, wish for, or crave. Here's what this means. That no action is taken other than lofty thinking and thought. Hmm, I really wish... Wishing is not improving your well-being, and it's not prayer. Okay? Having a deep desire for something is not seeking. So when he says seek, he goes, the first thing you got to do is you have to seek. This is what that word means, to seek after, to seek for, to aim at, strive after. There is this intentional action that seeking has. So let me, let me say this. Prayer is the intentional action of seeking stillness first rather than expressing desires first. When I posture myself and I'm going after stillness that we have to begin, culture keepers of prayer in my own life, that what I have to do is I have to posture myself in stillness. And, and that begins with me seeking after, seeking after the stillness, seeking after that moment, seeking after that, hey, everybody close your eyes for a second. I mean, imagine, what did it take for you to get here? What did your week look like to get here and sit in a room and for the first time have to have a guy stand on a stage and instruct you to quiet your mind and create stillness in an environment? But I don't think you need to come here on a Sunday morning just to experience that. I think God has that stillness available for you in this posture of stillness that we call prayer. In Psalms 46.10, last week I talked about these, uh, this crew called the Sons of Korah. And they oversaw like prayer and worship and they wrote music and they were, you know, 24-7, they did this for almost a little over 30 years. And these same sons of Korah, this is their, they're having this conversation in Psalms, what I'm about to read, they're having this conversation, praising God for answering their prayer. And this is what God, in the middle of this, God says, be still and know, recognize and understand, to know, to recognize and understand, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted on earth. Uh, this is the idea. With the understanding of God's greatness, be still and know that I am God. With the understanding of God's greatness, all the arguments and all the opposition and all the reasons that sometimes we go like, man, I really need to do this. And then we build this massive narrative and story in our head. It's, it's, it's like the boogeyman in our brain. Have you ever done this? Well, you know, I, I, God, God's like, you know, go, okay, I want you to go and apply for this. I want, you to, I want you to step into, I want you to go talk to this. But okay, God, if I talk to them, they might eat me like a monster. Like that's where, like, that's how ridiculous our brains take us sometimes. Maybe it's just me. You should go, like, hey, why don't, you, why don't you go get an education and learn this skill because that's how I'm going to further some things. God, you know, I just don't think I can do it. We fill in the blank. Being still and knowing who God is, this is what it does. 
it, it's saying silence the argument, silence the opposition. You should just stop right now. And would you just be still in the presence of God's greatness? As I pursue God in prayer, I'm able to find stillness in his presence. When I see my circumstances in an accurate comparison to God's greatness. Let me say it this way. When we see our circumstances compared to ourselves, it produces worry. God, speaking to the sons of Korah, said, be still, know that I'm God. And then he tells them, I want you then to like, Profess that I'm going to be exalted. Like I'm going to be exalted. I'm going to be worshipped. I'm going to be proclaimed. So check this out. When we see our circumstances in comparison to ourselves, it produces worry. When we can get still before God in prayer and see our circumstances compared to God's greatness, it produces worship. We're all playing a comparison game. And prayer, when we say be still, seek the stillness, seek with that posture of stillness, it's, it's reorienting us that the circumstance that you're dealing with, the relationship that, that you feel like is broken, too far gone, that financial situation, that healing that you're after, whatever it is, you're comparing that thing compared to yourself. And we need to put those things in that posture of stillness in God's presence before him because they're all small before him, including you and me. So it's know that I am God and when I see myself in accurate comparison to God, God, you're great <laughs> and I'm not, you're mighty and I'm actually fragile. God can move mountains and you and I can break bones. I am keenly aware of how fragile my humanity is today. I am more keenly aware of how small and fragile my humanity is than ever before in my life. And that's not, a, that's not a bummer. That is actually one of the biggest, most powerful saving components to my life in the last year. Because there's a moment that I had to like, I, I get hit by a car in the middle of St. George a year ago. I'm laying in the middle of a street. I wake up in a trauma unit and I'm in a place of, this is crazy, I'm in a place of stillness. And God begins speaking to my circumstances. And I understood very quickly just how fragile humanity, not just mine, yours, ours is, and how completely great God is. That he would save you, but be in the business of saving you again. 
God, no, God, you saved me that one time, but this time, let me tell you something. There is way more month than there is money. There is way more problems in this marriage than before. This problem's different, and God's like, I don't look at them discriminately. I just look at them as small. Are you with me? This is why he says in verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive and green today and tomorrow, all of those, all of those flowers, all the grass of the field is all going to get cut and thrown as fuel into the furnace. Will he not much more clothe you? Stillness actually helps you. He says, you have little faith. Stillness, prayer, the posture of stillness helps you produce faith. God, because when, when, when I was laying in a trauma unit, in a bed, I actually had an increase of faith because I, I saw God face to face and I was like, I see how big you are. Dude, I had to get hit by a car to see this. Cool. My sincere prayer for you is, as, as your pastor is that you not have to do, Right? So what is be still and know that I'm God is God's instruction for us to slow down, remember who God is, and remember who you really are to him. That if a God that great that he would clothe you, a God that great that he would send his son, what we do is we go, oh, then Pat, I'm weak and I'm small. No, you're priceless. Think about this. You're priceless. Seeking stillness is not, I'm going to say this. I'm just going to say it. Seeking stillness is not pushing us toward more self-care. It's not. But it's actually, it's inviting us and drawing us toward more self-awareness that we get from being still before a mighty God. In the stillness of prayer, we're able to find accurate perspective. Here's my question for you this morning. Uh, do you have an accurate perspective of how great God is and how great God's abundance for you is? We should seek to be still in prayer. Number two, we should surrender to God's still voice in prayer. There's this guy, Elijah, in the Bible. He's, he was a prophet. Amen, he was a prophet. And he had just won this major victory against a couple of his, like, enemies. Um, and, they, like, his enemies, and they, they stood and they called upon their gods. And, and, and God, the God of the universe, came through for Elijah and his enemies lost. And a hit was put on Elijah's life. This is crazy. Uh, when God moves in your life, don't be surprised. So Queen Jezebel pops up on the scene. She puts a hit out on Elijah's life. Don't be surprised when you get still in prayer and God starts to move in your life when the Jezebel which is a whole nother sermon 
But the Jezebel spirit that we, st- we see in Queen Jezebel is one that wants power, position, influence. And she's upset about this. So she puts a hit out on Elijah's life. So Elijah does what every great prophet does. He runs for his life. <laughs> True story. Oh, man. How many of you ever faced something and you're like, God moves for you yesterday and you're packing your bags and running for your life tomorrow? Amen. Dude, I, okay, I'm just telling you, I'm human. I do it. I'm like, God's like, remember what I did yesterday? And I was like, nah, no. And what does he do? He runs for his life out into the wilderness. And this is where he finds himself. He's, he's running into the wilderness. Maybe you can relate to this. He's tired. He feels dejected. He feels alone. Come on. And he is completely ready to quit. This guy just saw God show up in the most freakish, miraculous way and defeat his enemies. And this dude feels like he's alone. He feels dejected and he's ready to quit. And an angel in this, and I'm going to say potentially what we would consider depressed state, an angel shows up to Elijah. After Elijah pleads, what does he do? He goes and he starts praying to God. God, I'm dejected. I'm alone. You moved yesterday, but I don't think you can do it today. This crazy woman is chasing me, trying to cut my head off. Okay. And an angel tells him to get up and leave the wilderness. Sometimes God has to change your posture and the location of where you're standing. Sometimes he's going to tell, but God, you don't, like, I want to be the victim, God. Elijah, I want to be the, God, yeah. He's like, get up, dude. You don't understand. And, and Elijah is drawn to this, to this mountain called uh, Mount Horeb. Uh, this is the mountain of God. This is a place of, of stillness in God's presence where the Ten Commandments were actually given to Moses. Okay? And, and so he's drawn to this mountain. And Elijah takes a 40-day journey. It takes him 40 days and 40 nights to get from where he's out in the wilderness to this place of stillness. Because of uh, busy hurry and worry... I'm suggesting to you that maybe like Elijah, you getting to that place of stillness won't happen overnight. It may be a 40-day and 40-night journey. But he stayed disciplined, and he was going to get to the place of stillness. So in 1 Kings 19.9, it says, And there he went into a cave. He's now on the mountain. And he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He's like, wait, an angel told me to like, and then God, like, what are you doing here, Elijah? So Elijah says, man, I've been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts. I've been doing all the things you've told me to do, God. Uh, for, the, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. Q, 
key, I'm alone, <laughs> and no one's with me. I'm a left, and some Jezebel's ch trying to kill me, and they seek to take my life. Verse 11, then he said, okay, go. God says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountain, and he broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Where was God? In the place of stillness, where do we find God's voice? In the stillness as a still voice. So many times we're praying to God and we're like, God, just give me a sign. And he's like, like an earthquake? God spoke to me. It was windy last night, and I woke up. I God, I was like, God, was it, it's small, still small voice, the sound of a gentle and soft whisper. Elijah hears God's still soft whisper in the midst of the sounds of the environment. Do you know how noisy our environment is? And he's able to hear the still small voice but he has to get into, he had to get to a place of stillness to hear the still voice. There's lots of great, I just want to say this real quick. There's lots of great sounds that we have available in, 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 in our society. There's lots of great sounds. There's, lot, there's, there's great, like, you know, experts on things and um, there's lots of great little quippy quotes, you know, wow, that sounded good. We see them pop up on our social media. We're like, oh, that's good. But that doesn't, they, they, they sound good, but that doesn't mean that they're sound. Be careful that things that might sound good are not God's sound voice. And so in verse 13, he goes, so it was. When Elijah heard it, the still small voice, that he wrapped his face in his mantle, his cloak, his clothes, and he went out and he stood in the entrance of the cave. He stood in the presence of God. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is the second time he's asked Elijah, what are you doing here? I just, I just want to point this out. Usually if God has to ask anyone in humanity something more than once, they're not getting what he's asking. Right? He's like, what are you doing here? So he asked him for, for the second time. Uh, he, he's asking him for the second time as an invitation, not as an inquisition. God knows what he's doing there. God knows why you're coming to him in prayer and why you're seeking stillness. God's not trying to figure out why you're there. He's trying to get you to actually accept the invitation to draw near into stillness and hear his still small voice. So what does Elijah's anxiety and busy and hurry and worry look like? Um, he says in verse 14, he answers God the same exact way. Elijah, what are you doing here? And this is what he says. He goes, I've, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because of the children of Israel, blah, 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 blah. Here's what he's saying. He's like, I've busied myself doing all the right things. I'm living right, but I'm not living well. And there's this like, there's like a low-key like blame 
God, you're the one who gave me this woman. God, you're the one who gave me this man. God, you're the one who gave me these children. God, you're the one who gave me this job. God, you're the one who put me in the middle of the street. I'm doing all the right things. Do you know one of the funniest thoughts that I had when I woke up in a trauma unit a year ago? God, I'm doing all the right things. I'm like, I'm even a pastor And God's like, <laughs> he's like, dude, how's that going for you, dude? I'm, what was I saying? I'm living right. You can be ethically living right, but emotionally not living well. Sometimes we find ourselves busy but bankrupt doing all the right things. The problem is we're riddled with anxiety of hurry and worry and we're busy because we think it's ours to do. So what is God tell Elijah? He's like has an over-exaggerated sense of responsibility. He's like, I'm the provider and protector for the children of Israel. Uh, You gave me this job. Okay. And just by the way, you're always going to suffer from anxiety if you take on the role of provider and protector. Okay? And I love this. God doesn't rebuke Elijah for his idiocy. Are, are you with me? He didn't go, Elijah, burn. He's like, I'm busy, but bankrupt. And he's like, you're right. I should burn you. (laughs) Listen to God's heart of grace and mercy. God's heart of mercy. Mercy. Okay? Mercy is to not get what you deserve. Mercy. God's heart of mercy to not give Elijah what he probably deserved. And his grace to give you what you don't deserve. He doesn't rebuke him. Yeah, yeah, I get, I get you. Listen, I get you've messed up. I get you've denied me. I get you walked away. I get that last night what you were doing might not have been right living, but I'm here to help you live well. And I am a God who is always going to draw near to you when you seek my stillness. And so what does he say to Elijah. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael, the king over is over Syria. Also, you're going to anoint Jehu, the son. What does he do? He goes on and he gives Elijah the strategy for his sanity. Elijah, after he tells him a list of things to do, in verse 19 it says, So he departed from there. And he went and did those things. Elijah surrenders to the stillness of God's voice. Whose voice, here's my question for us, whose voice or voices are you surrendering to? I want to tell you if it's not the voice of God, I'm just going to tell you from personal experience, it's not going to solve your busy hurry and worry 
and it's not going to help your anxiety. Is it my own? Is it others? Is it, is it that popular podcast? Is it that, is it that vlog on YouTube? Is it, is, it, is, it that, is it that one quote meme account that's the positive meme account? What are you surrendering to? Or is it God's voice? You know, as, as God's church, we aim to keep the culture of God's house of prayer by seeking stillness by surrendering to a still voice. That's why, that's why we are committed to monthly having a night called Jesus Nights where we provide the opportunity for you to come and bring those things. My heart, our goal, and our heart is that we'd be able to do that weekly. Okay? We're sit, like, th- like, prayer is a practice. It's not a theory. The best thing I can do for you is let's put this into practice. So, Robert, can you come up here? Take that piece of paper that you got. If you have a writing implement... That was a proper way of saying a pen or a pencil. And this is physical. Um, we could have asked you to do this on like your notes app and keep it for yourself, but there's something very practical about you. Like, in fact, science has proven. <laughs> like when you take your hand and write something on a piece of paper, there's something that happens. And so here, here's what I want you to do. Robert's just going to play. I want you to close your eyes for a second. And we're just going to practice seeking just just a moment of stillness. This is the the hardest thing. For some of you in the room, you're literally like, part of your brain might be like, this is stupid. Our propensity in humanity is when we're feeling anxious from busy, hurry, and worry is that we actually lean into more things that make us busy, hurry, and worry. That's why you pick up your phone and check it when no one has called, no text messages, nothing there. Lord, speak to us right now. We're just going to sit in a moment of stillness about one thing right now this morning, God, one thing that you want. You want us to surrender. Speak to us with your still, small voice. And what do you want us to surrender? In stillness.
want you to write that thing down, whatever that is. Write it down on that piece of paper. And I want you, when you write it, don't, don't put your name on it. Keep it anonymous. instruction as you guys finish writing that this is what's going to happen as we walk out of here we're going to have some of our, our house team members um, collecting those from you and these prayers are going to go before family members in our church that are interceding and praying it's, they're going to go the night that we have Jesus nights, they're going to be up. And you're going to be able to walk into the room and you're going to be able to see the hearts, the strains, the stresses, the anxieties of our family. And we're going to be able to pray for those things in that night. We're going to be able to go after those things. But we're also going to be able to see the victory of what happens when we seek stillness and we surrender to the stillness of his voice. Why don't we stand? I'm just going to wrap up in prayer. And as I wrap up in prayer, as always, 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 our ministry team, they've been praying all week for this moment. They've been praying all morning. They were here before anyone else. They've been in the room. They've been praying. They've been praying for you. They've been praying for whatever it is that is going on in your life, but ultimately they've been praying that when you walked in here, you would see how God is a healing God. He wants to, he wants to heal. He wants to provide, and he wants to give you the protection because that's who he is. And so if you need prayer this morning, I do not want you to leave this place. Do not leave here without getting prayer from one of our ministry team members. We're family. We're in this together as family members of his house. And we're going to stay committed to seeking his stillness and surrendering to his still small voice in what he says. As I pray, if you need to come forward for prayer for anything, please don't hesitate to do so. Lord, just thank you today that maybe, maybe we learned a few things about why we're feeling anxious as a society. Maybe we learned a few things about what you say is the solution to it, which is stillness. God, would you speak um, into the areas of our lives that we 
even have a hard time revealing to you, even though you see it, would you, would you just begin to speak as we, as we find our place in stillness before you, that this week that we would commit, stillness can look like a quiet walk for 15 minutes without any devices playing. Stillness can be silence in a car ride commuting to work without anything going on. Uh, silence can be a moment that you take for just mere minutes as you sit and you have a cup of coffee in the morning. I'm going to suggest and encourage that we all make it uh, intentional this week. Start with five minutes, five minutes of stillness. Draw us, Lord, draw us in. Speak to us in your still small voice. If you need prayer this morning, please come forward for the rest of us for the rest of us. Lord, we exalt you. We thank you for how great you are. We praise your name. How majestic your name is. How great and how grand and how mighty you are. How much value you place on our lives. How priceless we are for you. We thank you for that. We just give you worth. We give you attention, affection, adoration. We give, we give honor and weight to your voice above all other voices, your sound voice above all other sounds. In Jesus' powerful name, everyone said amen and amen.